You're listening to The Retail Perch with Shekhar Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey guys, uh, welcome to another episode of The Retail Perch. Took a little break there during the holidays, uh, but we're all caught up here and back in business. And this is being recorded, of course, in the in the new year, 2022. Can you believe it, Gary? We're already in 2022. I don't know where 2021 went, but... Uh... I, know. I heard a little joke the other day about uh, 2022. So is it 2020-2 or 2020-3? Yes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. right? Uh, they also like blur together. Yeah, exactly. They kind of all blur together. And, you know, hope you guys have had a safe and enjoyable holiday and i know there's um, you know lots of stuff happening out there but here at the retail perch we're still focused on the main things which is helping uh the grocery industry talking about emerging trends and exciting stuff that's happening gary anything new on your end just uh, uh off to a busy start here in 2022 and uh, i think we got a great uh, guest with us today to uh kick off the retail perch for this year yeah, and it's another first. And it seems like, you know, we've done 60 episodes here. It seems like you can't do any more firsts. But here we go. We have another first. We have our first brand on the show. And this one, very interesting. We have David Clapson, who's going to obviously talk a little bit more. But, uh, you know, he uh, is with Calypso Lemonade, which makes some really, really interesting drinks. So I think we're going to be talking about that whole category and how they go to market and how they use data. So, David, welcome to the Retail Perch. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so great to have you here. We'd love for to for our listeners to get to know you a little bit. So if you can take a few minutes, just give us your background. How did you wind up in this industry and what does Calypso do? Yeah, sure. Great. Yeah, and good to be with you on the uh, on the new year. I think we can all say good to move on to a new year after all the challenges last year, especially. Yeah, yes. So, you know, my background is really big CPG, you know, PepsiCo, uh, Nabisco, Kraft, um, and then, uh, believe it or not, moved into convenience retail. So I've actually got the, you know, the, the grocer side of the business in my background as well, and then moved into sports nutrition. And when I was in sports nutrition, uh, we actually had a product called Isopure that was being co-packed with this small co-packer, King Juice, up in Milwaukee. And I got to know the founder. And one of the brands that he actually had was Calypso. And a couple of years later, he decided to sell the business. And he came down, let me know about it, had a private equity guy with him. And I said, let's have lunch. And the next thing you know, running the business at Calypso, great opportunity. What I saw in it was a brand. It had been around for a while, almost 20 years, but the founder really didn't have the resources nor the interest or, or desire to put the effort into expanding the brand. It had great metrics, you know, with, with velocity, some category leading velocities, but low distribution. And that is a great equation for success. If you can get distribution with something that is outpacing any other product in the category, in particular lemonade, and quite frankly, competes really well with teas and decided to take on the, the opportunity. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm running the business. So that was about four years ago now in 2017. So Calypso is distributed nationally now. And, and who are some of the, the different retailers that's available through? 
So, you know, the major retailers that everybody knows about, we've expanded distribution early on. Like I had said, it had relatively low distribution. It was in the high 20% ACV uh, distribution range. And we've since grown to over 43% distribution after this year. So a significant jump. And primary retailers, just as anybody else has, is Kroger, Walmart, and then, you know, a number of national C-store chains, including Circle K, 7-Eleven at, you know, at a store level, and a number of others. So, yeah, we are relatively ubiquitous. I use that, that term loosely, but there's still a long way to go. You know, we're in about 2,000 Walmart stores, yet there's, you know, over 4,000 of them out there. So, there's plenty of opportunity to continue to expand the business. One of the things that, that was, you know, somewhat surprising to me about how the brand responded is typically when you gain distribution, you're going to lose velocity because each point of, point of distribution tends not to be as good as the last that you had typically, but that wasn't the case here. And it was a brand wherever we put it, we had really, really good velocities. The stuff moves. And it's one of the things I saw early in the brand. And we talk about data and how you use data to figure out what to go do. With this brand, it was clear through all the consumer research that we did, through all of the you know, focus group work, the Kroger 8451 data, the consumer data that we merged together with, with focus group and panel data, that people loved this brand. It was an escape, taste of the islands. It had a great branding with Calypso and a great positioning with Taste of the Islands. And what we found was, you know, you put this stuff on display and it's gone. It's gone in a day or two, which was shocking to me because not many brands respond that well to merchandising. You know, there's a huge range of, you know, types of brands and how they respond. Some are just shelf brands that'll turn on the shelf. You don't even need to promote them. There are some that do well on the, on the shelf with just a tag and a promotion every once in a while. That's the way this brand was handled, and it still had category-leading velocities. So we took it to another level and said, all right, well, let's just see how well this brand can perform on display. And we work closely with retailers and their data to say, okay, let's try this. Let's get on your planner. Let's get the display support. Next thing you know, we weren't on side stacks. We were on pallets, pallets on the floor that would blow out over the weekend. So it, it, it was really encouraging early on when we started to see this momentum in the brand and the fact that everybody loved it. So, you know, I'll pause there, but that wasn't the only thing that we found. It was also the brand itself and the visual identity. The brand had been around, like I had said, for about 20 years but just had this old visual identity. It was, it, it was obvious that it needed to be updated. And it took us about a year. We spent our time because, you know, my experience with, with branding and visual identity and changing a logo or changing a label is you never know if it's going to help, hurt, or do nothing. So we spent our time with it. And sure enough, the combination of that in-store execution with shifting to the new logo, the new visual ID really exploded 
the brand uh, and its presence in store and also its velocity. So we continue to have category leading velocities that, uh, you know, quite frankly, are shocking to me uh, after four years of doing this and doubling our distribution. Wow. I'm immediately tempted to go to my supermarket and go pick up a Calypso lemonade. I haven't had one, honestly, but I think that we'll make sure that changes. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) That's right. But so, so as you kind of expand this brand and you're trying to make strategic decisions in terms of the direction you're going, what kind of data are you reliant upon internally to make some of those decisions? So one of the things, and this is, you know, dating way back into my career is, you know, I found that a test and learn environment with an organization um, can invigorate them because you give them that autonomy, that, that rope, that, you know, the ability to go do different things that they think, you know, could potentially work for the brand. But then if you, you know, if it doesn't work, you move on quickly, right? And we took that mentality, that approach with this business when we first started. It was a test and learn. Let's go do things based on the data, based on all the consumer research we did that said, okay, based on what we're learning, and I'll give you a couple of examples, but um, you know, based on what we're learning, let's go try this. So one of the examples in, in terms of um, uh, display and presence in store was around people and people in store. So we call them brand development specialists. Now you hear a lot about it, you know, you throw people in the market and to go sell your brand and you try to get more distribution and, and, and all of that. Well, guess what? That doesn't always work and it's very expensive. So the question then is, all right, where are you gonna get the best return? And we tested a number of different things, everything from the up and down the street mom and pop stores all the way to a Walmart store and figured out where this brand played the best in with merchandising and the right price promotion, kind of all together with the execution in store. And what we found was, you know what, like I had said earlier, you put up a pallet, you're going to fly through it over the weekend. Well, who can, who can put pallets up? Well, it's Kroger, it's a Winco and it's Walmart. And we focused our resources against those particular retailers worked with those retailers to make sure that we were on the planner and they put us on the planner. Why? So that, you know, and they recognize the value based on the data that we brought to them. And I, I can tell you that, you know, very difficult to start because we're a smaller brand. You know, do we really want to put you on the planner? It's reserved for, you know, red, blue, and, you know, a couple of other players, maybe, And we said, just give us a chance. And sure enough, now these retailers, retailers are coming to us now saying, all right, how do we really blow this out next year? How do we make this even better? Because what you're doing is working, combining the data, you know, with the execution in store and our support at retail with the planner and whatnot to get really, you know, significant growth. And our growth accelerated. We went from growing you know, call it 30%, 33% in 2018 to 62%. And then this past year was about 35% only because we couldn't make enough product given the supply chain challenges in the middle of the year. We could have grown another 60% and we expect to do that again. So this momentum continues, this flywheel of test and learn 
and then applying it to execution has really, really worked well to us for us. So you just mentioned supply chain, um, David. How how do you distribute your product? Are you does it get distributed through like Kroger's own distribution centers, or are you working with regional distributors to uh, get product to the retailer? So about two thirds of our network are beer distributors. A good portion of that is through the AB network. Great okay. partners, really, you know, have a, a, a solid relationship with these folks. But we also have some of the independent large distributors, Polar up in New England, Big Geyser in New York City, a huge deal that we struck with Big Geyser. And they have done unbelievable work with us and for us. You know, uh, Classic down in Southern California, Columbia up in Northern or uh, in the Northwest. So there's a number of big regional independent distributors, but then the balance of it is the beer network. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, these guys have... 30, 40, 50 brands that they're repping and getting, you know, the share of mine from these guys is really difficult. Yeah. Well, you got to get them to believe. And we were just one of those other little brands that they had that, you know, didn't really have much momentum, really didn't have much going on other than a great product. And, you know, when we put some emphasis against it, changed the visual identity, showed them what we were doing, got them to buy in and got them to believe. And then working with the retailers to get them to execute it again, it becomes this big flywheel, but you can't take any one of these elements for granted. You have to work with all of these pieces of the puzzle, whether it's the data, the distributor to execute the retailer to support you or our own organization to get everybody to believe and go into the, that test and learn mode, it's, you know, it's a, a cohesive flywheel that you really have to work. Yeah. Uh, around supply chain, where are you seeing the problems or what are you seeing? Uh, you know, I live in the Denver and I got to tell you, going out into the stores here over the last couple of weeks, it's as bad as it was in the first couple months of the pandemic two years ago. I, yep. I can't believe what horrible shape entire sections wiped out in stores. You know, Kroger, Safeway, Target. It, it's unbelievable to me what I'm seeing out there. So there's a number of things, right? And I'll lead with the component of the component. So there's all kinds of stuff that goes into, you know, making our product, whether it's a cap or the glass or the packaging or the the safety seal or the actual, you know, lemon product or the flavoring or whatever, right? So there's all these different components. Well, you know, when the pandemic first hit, we said, okay, worked with all of our suppliers and we were, we were ahead of it. So I got to give a lot of credit to our, our operations organization. They got way out ahead of it and said, you know what, let's just go buy forward on all these components. And as we did that, what we learned was it was not necessarily the component. And this is what's happening with you know cars right now with chips. It's not the component. It's the component of the component, right? So you need a chip to make some component work that goes into the car. Well, it may not be the component, but it's the component for the component. So you, know, you go way back into a supply chain. And if you're missing one little thing, you, you shut down your operation. And, you know, just buying ahead and buying forward really helped mitigate a lot of it. So during the pandemic itself, and our our business was already on a great trajectory, 
we continue to grow. That was up 62% that year. And then we followed that up with up 35 this past year. And the only reason it was 35, it was one of the components and it was glass for us. And you, you may or may not have heard, you know, you go to the center store where, you know, you've got this, uh, you know, significant uptick in demand in center store categories. A lot of those center store categories are in glass. Yeah. So the demand on glass went up. You also look at the beer categories. Well, you know, they, you go from kegs in, you know, the restaurant or the bar to bottles in the store. So there's huge drain on demand plus COVID hit glass manufacturer. So we got put way behind. But nevertheless, we were still be, we were still able to grow significantly in the year despite, you know, mm. the issues that we have. So I think I'd sum it up by saying, you know, getting out ahead and understanding what the component of the component is yeah. and making sure you're covering yourself over, uh, you know, a, a larger, longer period of time. Yeah, no, it's a good call out. Got it. That's interesting. It's fascinating. So clearly you guys were thinking a little ahead and uh, planning ahead. So in terms of, you know, talking about not so much supply chain, but understanding your partnership with retailers and what you depend on from your retailers, because I'm guessing you need some data from them to understand movement, who's buying your product, X, Y, and Z. So how do you go about doing that? Understanding who's your target market and where the movement's happening and how does that data feed back into your plans? So, you know, as you guys know, and most grocers know, the richest data is loyalty card data. And because it's real, it's live. Yeah, it's a little messy, but it it's pretty good to give you a direction on where to head. So I'll give you the example. Kroger has probably the best, right? 8451. Um, and, uh, you know, we signed up with them and with the intent to test and learn, again, test and learn with a new line of products that we came out with. So the line of product was lights. So we knew that there was an opportunity with consumers through that data that you know, there was a group that wanted something that didn't have, you know, as much or any sugar in it, right? So we created a zero sugar product. Took us a year, wanted to reformulate. There's a reason that you don't see zero sugar lemonades on the market, except for ours now. It's because it's really hard to do. It's hard to go to zero sugar in a lemonade because of the lemon and the acidic content. It's very difficult to formulate. So we spent a year doing this got to a great product and worked with Kroger to launch and connected with that information. Then to combine with what I had said earlier, this whole idea of getting displays on floor, you know, getting the execution through the distributor and then figuring out what the best way to get a new product into a consumer's hands is. Because this was, this was right during the pandemic that we had launched and sampling kind of went out the window, right? You, you, you know, you're not, nobody's sampling anymore because you've got this whole pandemic thing that you're dealing with. So the question then becomes, what's the best way to get a product in people's hands? Well, give it to them for free. Okay. Well, that's, you know, makes sense, right? So they don't have to buy it. Well, you, you can't really just give people a free bottle. You got to give them some incentive. And we use that data to target the right consumers with digital coupons 
that we then overlaid on a major promotion that we had on our core products. So you can see kind of things coming together here, right? You got a core product promotion, you get on the planner, you get the display, you give the direction to the distributors and our own folks that a portion of that display, 30% of that display needs to be lights. So you get the presence and then you loop back around with the consumer with the data and their capability of targeting consumers, the right consumers, right? We knew exactly who those consumers were, people that we wanted to bring into the franchise that enjoyed zero sugar products and gave them a digital coupon that was a dollar off that was connected to a promotion that was a 10 for 10. So if you think about it, you yep. got to pay a buck a bottle for our core product, 10 for 10, but then you're giving a digital coupon for a buck to give them those particular consumers a free bottle of new product. It worked like a charm, right? So you got all of these elements that come together. One of the things that I, I, I've just learned over a period of time, you can, you can try to do any one of these things, but they don't typically work in isolation, right? So if we just said, okay, we got a promotion, great. Make 30% of your displays lights. Uh, people aren't going to necessarily want to go pick up something that they've never tried before and spent a lot of money on. So how do you get them to do that? Well, you know, if you just did the digital coupon, well, where is it in the store? I can't find it. All right. I got this coupon. I don't know where the heck this product is. And, you know, you got to make sure that it's on the show. So there's all these elements that have to come together. And again, big learning that over, the, over my career, that you've got to bring these together in order to get the result you're looking for. Yeah, that takes a lot of um, brainstorming and pulling stuff together and making sure all the key pieces are connected, right? And there's some degree of simultaneity here involved in the execution, right? About when do I know that the pallet's on the floor? You know, when does the coupon hit and, you know, planning all these things. And you were, you're talking about multiple teams coordinating on a campaign, right? Retailer, distributor, our own folks, operations team, because you got a new product that you're trying to produce to get to the right place at the right time. It is, but to me, that's fun, right? It's how do, how do you get all these elements of the business to connect and work together? And then when it happens, it's, you know, really exhilarating and you know, retailers love it. They love seeing that kind of execution. They love seeing that kind of support that differentiates them from somebody else. And, you know, as a previous retailer with convenience retailers, you know, Hess, I, I was part of the Hess organization before we sold to Speedway. We, you want to differentiate. It's very difficult to differentiate as a retailer because you're carrying everybody's the same products, everybody else's. Right. So if you come to them with something that's kind of neat, different, innovative, they're going to jump on it. And then you do that with a brand that has the capability, the potential to really sell well. And then you get the execution element, element of it together with distributors. Boy, that's, that's, that's when it's really fun. Yeah. Sounds like it. it must've been a sweet moment for you guys to yeah, see. Yeah. Yeah. But again, that's just one example, right? You know, there's this, this whole idea of test, learn, test, learn. We've done it in a number of different ways has really guided the organization. It's test, learn, then iterate, right? Yeah. You have to iterate. You can't just say, well, geez, that didn't work. You just say, well, okay, 
that may not have worked. So let's, you know, let's take this vector. Let's go in this direction next. And you keep working it until you find what works for a brand because every brand is a little bit different. So, right. so give us an example of something you tried that didn't work or didn't hmm. work, you know, or didn't play out like you thought it would. So the business was built on independence, on small stores. Again, not, you know, it costs a lot of money to get into the big chains and yeah. big convenience retail. It's, it's expensive. It's hard. It's, uh, you know, challenging. So the business was originally built on independence and small stores selling, you know, a few cases of product, but a lot of, them, right, a lot of stores. So initially we said, well, okay, that's great. We know we've got this chain opportunity, but we also know it's expensive. Let's go harder after independence. Let's really push this brand in independence with programming incentive with distributors and, you know, these brand development specialists that I had mentioned earlier. That's yeah. the first place we put them. We said, all right, let's, let's go after this independent business. So we scattered a few of these folks across the country, trained them, tried to figure out what these folks should be doing. And sure enough, it just didn't work. It didn't work. Why? Because you can't pay for somebody with the amount of volume you do out of an independent store. Love the independents. They're a key component of our business. You know, it's their half of our business. But to put the resources against it, it just doesn't work. It doesn't pay out, right? So that was a great example of, oh boy, all right, this doesn't work. But instead of, instead of just backing away and stopping, we pivoted, right? We iterated and said, all right, well, where else can these folks go? And that's where we started to learn that this brand, if you can get the side stack and then the half an end cap and then the end cap, and then next thing you know, you got a pallet on the floor that blows through on the weekend. That's the progression of this brand that we learned through test and learn. So it's an example of what didn't work. Yeah, no, that's great. So where uh, uh, where is Clipso headed next? What are your plans <laughs> out over the next year or two? Well, I you know, uh, at the risk of uh, being too aggressive here, you know, I think this is a half a billion dollar brand. It is. We're not quite there yet. There is significant growth ahead of us, both in distribution and in velocity. So even though we're we're category leading velocity, I continue to see upside in in that metric. And that, you know, that, that, those are the two big metrics, distribution and velocity, distribution velocity. And then if you, you know, put into that the right innovation. So the innovation for us is really around pack type. So we've got a great lineup of product. We got great flavors. You know, we have over 20 flavors. Um, we're in 25 countries, right? So we're a global brand. We own the trademark, spent a lot of time getting the trademark internationally. There is tremendous upside distribution velocity, but also in pack type innovation. We're in a single serve bottle. That's it right now. Now, the growth has been so tremendous. We've been, we haven't really had the opportunity to focus against multi-packs or variety packs. We've done some testing with club and it's worked well, but we just don't, haven't had the capacity yet to be able to produce in multi-pack or variety pack. But that is clearly the next step for us in terms of innovation. It's pack type innovation and giving the consumers multiples of our product at a time, which is obvious, right? It's an obvious next step for a brand that moves this fast. Um, and then, 
you know, it's, it's multi-pack variety pack, uh, and, you know, and then expanding that into potentially club, right? So now you've got pack type innovation plus retailer expansion with a different pack type, you know, it's basic stuff. And, you know, everybody, you know, knows these things, but it's really hard to do sometimes, especially when you're talking about pack type, but that is an obvious next step for us. And we're looking forward to getting something going at the end of this year with a multi-packing grocery. Neat. So how do you see, um, what do you think the last two years in terms of the change in consumer behavior, what's it done for your brand? Has the acceleration in e-commerce helped you or hurt you? Do people need to see your product on the shelf before they pick it up? Or do you guys have how has some of those things panned out for you? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So initially I was a little bit worried because you know, you go fewer people in stores, fewer people shopping, more Instacart, more online shopping. And early on, because of I, you know, the experience I had at, at Glambia, where Amazon became our largest customer at Glambia, sports nutrition, right? Protein powders, pre-workouts. And it was an obvious product that would go through that kind of a network, an e-commerce network. First thing I try to do is put, you know, our glass bottle through the e-com and through Amazon. We got it all set up. And that was when Amazon said, nope, sorry, we're changing our, our algorithms for heavy product. And, you know, what, what was a buck 80 product turned into like a $3 product in through e-commerce. So it didn't work. That's another good example of something that didn't work. Why? Because the product is too heavy and it's glass and it's hard to transport and all that stuff. So I was concerned because we we couldn't go through e-commerce because of those characteristics of the product. Well, what ended up happening is, you know, a connection with Instacart to make sure that we are set up properly so that we're on the grocery list for, uh, for consumers was critical. So we get ordered on through an Instacart type platform. Um, but also I would tell you the brand side of it, we really amped up, which is a taste of the islands, a getaway. It's a vacation in a bottle. Well, if you're cooped up, what a better way to get, you know, free yourself with that emotional connection to a brand as Taste of the Islands, Calypso, right? And it worked. It's worked really, really well. So, you know, escape, you know, get away. And you'll see it through some of our feeds on Instagram, Facebook. You know, we're over, you know, 116,000 followers, which is, you know, big brand kind of numbers in Instagram and almost 300,000 on Facebook. So we leverage those platforms around the brand to get people to say, hey, this is a cool product. I'm sitting at home, I'm cooped up, I wanna get away. And that emotional connection has worked along with the e-commerce side that is really a shop at store Instacart kind of a method as opposed to a delivery method through Amazon. And who is, uh, obviously, you know, during the pandemic, you know, alcohol sales just skyrocketed and, you know, you are a non-alcoholic beverage. How, you know, apart from the fact that people found an emotional getaway from in a bottle, how did you guys pitch it in terms of, you know, did you compete against uh, 
alcohol consumption in terms of how you were positioning yourselves? Um, yeah, you, you, you don't try to beat that. You join it, right? right? So, <laughs> so uh, we, we are, and we knew this before, you know, this is anything we created. We just leveraged it and, and uh, accelerated it. We are an unbelievable mixer. I was going to say, it's got you got to be a mixer. It is a fantastic mixer. I can tell you from my own consumption that it is a great mixer. <laughs> and hopefully with your consumption, once I actually get you some product. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, you'll, you'll see some of those feeds. You'll go, you know, you can go to our site and you'll see a number of different cocktail mixes that we've created in order to make that connection um, with, again, the islands. And we know that, you know, Alcohol consumption is, has gone up just a tad uh, in the pandemic. So we've been able to leverage that as well. Nice. Fascinating. So is, is this still, is this also when you're trying to run your programs and your targeted coupons that you run through retailers, are you looking at some adjacent category of shoppers where like, okay, people who buy this are definitely high target, you know, market for Calypso. With that, you know, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 So great, great point. And it clearly worked for lights, right? We went after those people. We knew who, you know, was drinking low, no sugar products and we'd give them a coupon and they come over. In terms of adjacencies in store, uh, there's another great test and learn. Initially, we said, okay, let's get into the tea set. We compete well with tea, right? Tea and lemonade. Uh, you know, there's plenty of products out there. We had a tea and lemonade as well. So we wanted to be in with tea. Well, unfortunately, we got the pushback. Well, no, you're a bit more of a juice. So we're going to put you in the juice category. And we kind of fought it. We had all the data, everything. It's, but, you know, you got two different buyers. So it's not like you're going to one buyer and saying, well, no, you know, you should put us in tea. Look, when you're a brand this big, you don't have much of a choice. You're going to get pointed to a buyer. And if you're with the juice buyer and you're trying to say, no, I want to be in tea, that's probably not a great method to succeed. So what we recognized was it doesn't matter. Believe it or not, it just doesn't matter. And I was concerned. I've got a category management background and I'm trying to figure out, all right, how do we you know, work with these retailers on space and getting us cut in and why? And you know, our velocities is better, than these, is better than these products. So it makes sense to fit us in. It turns out it didn't matter. And here's the reason why. And again, it's, a, it's kind of one of those learnings that goes in a completely different direction than you think it's going to go, Right. What we found was with our product, given its turns, given its velocity, just get it in. It doesn't matter where it goes. And once you're in, the big you know, uh, uh, acceleration in the brand in a given retailer is all the other things that I had mentioned. These BDSs get on the planogram for display, get the right promotion in place, get the execution from the distributors, get on display get a side stack, let us prove ourselves, get on the end cap, then let's get pallets on the floor in the summer. So it's kind of a weird thing. It, it flew totally against how, you know, I was brought up in category management, you know, Brian Harris category management days, right? It, it was, it doesn't matter. And you don't usually get that answer from category management analytics, but 
that's kind of what happened. So we focused away from the shelf, get in, doesn't matter where, focus the efforts on expanding merchandising. Fascinating. Fascinating. It's a, you know, so I, I'll, I'll add a I'll add a comment there for you know because I, I know you had mentioned you know a lot of folks from the grocery industry products range in how they in their characteristics and how they perform in a store right so like I had mentioned some are turned products they're going to be on the shelf well those products yeah you better have the right planogram you better have it in the right place you better have the right adjacencies because it's really not going to go anywhere else right? HVC, health, beauty, that's a great example of it's got to be in the right place or center store mac and cheese, right? My craft days, you know, it's just going to be on the shelf for the most part. It's important to make sure you've got the right planogram, but there are other products in, in particular beverage, but there are other products, snacks, salty snacks, you know, I, my old Frito days where it isn't as important where it goes on the shelf, it can be much more important how you manage it in merchandising around the store. And, you know, one of the things that I, I find, matter of fact, I was in stores yesterday and I was looking at a number of end caps and some of the merchandise that these retailers had on their end caps that, you know, don't move, but somebody paid to get that spot on that end cap. But, you know, the product is not moving. Yeah. put it back on the shelf, right? Put a tag on it to get a promotion, but it's, it's just, you're not going to get the lift. But if you have the right product, you understand the merchandising impact on each brand or each category better, you're going you're gonna to increase your profits significantly because you're putting the right products on display. And this is one of those products that fits into that category, but we've had to prove ourselves over a long period of time, last couple of years to get to that level with retailers, to get them to believe. So it's a, it's a, it's a great learning for grocery retailers. I'm sure a lot of them know it already. I'm not telling them anything new, but I keep seeing it. I keep seeing it. Right. So. No, that's fascinating. I think we covered a, a lot of ground here, Gary. David, I wanted to ask you one last thing. Of course, you know, as a guest on the Retail Perch, where Stephanie's going to ask you for your mailing address so we can mail you a Retail Perch coffee mug. So next time you come back on the show, you can come back with that mug. You can fill it with Calypso lemonade, but you can take out of the mug. Now you do know, you do know the only reason I'm on this podcast is to get the cup. I, I you know, I, I watched all your podcasts. I see the end of them. You give out the cup. You know, I'm like, I got to get a cup. So that's why I'm here. I think, yeah, it's time to upgrade our cup, Gary. We, we yeah, probably- I, I, I think so. We need a 2022 uh, version. That's right. We need 2022. We're going to get with our marketing team and see how they can uh, spruce that up here. There you go. Especially with all the inspiration we got from David about how, you know, logo and branding. And that, that's right. Modeling that's right. Yep. Yeah. Fascinating conversation. Clearly, you know, some retailers who are listening to this probably don't ca- carry Calypso. If you are interested, you can definitely reach out to Calypso and see how you can get this brand into your store. Uh, but uh, David, before we close out here, any any other thoughts that you have that you'd like to share with our audience? You know, I'll, I'll leave it with a just a, a kind of a one-liner summary of how we've approached this, this business. It's growth through innovation and iteration. 
right? Innovation and iteration. Just keep going. If it doesn't work, try something else along those same lines, but just, you know, leverage what you have and iterate and you'll figure it out. Uh, you know, it's what I found most, you know, successful entrepreneurs do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. words. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, especially I think some of the independents and uh, uh, mid-tier retailers, you know, I think when you talk about innovation, iteration, they're, they're received with a little bit of trepidation because everybody wants some degree of dependency on what's going to happen next. And, you know, this, this try and test and try this, you know, if, if you're an entrepreneur, like you and I are, this comes naturally, right? You, you've done this all your life and you know you've got to test and learn. But when you're in a business where it's so operationally focused, trying to change things and tweak things can be a little scary. But I guess we don't have a choice nowadays with things changing so fast. You have to figure out what's going to work. So, Gary, anything before we close out here? No, David, thanks for being with us today. Uh, this was a great way to kick off uh, 2022 uh, here for the Retail Perch. So, I uh, appreciate all your comments. Gary, yes. thank you. Shaker, thank you. Thank you so much, sir. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at the Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off.